Good morning, Foothill. It's great to be with you this morning. I'm Ryan Hartwig. I'm so grateful that my family and I get to call Foothill Church um, our home. We moved here three and a half years ago and we started looking for a church and very quickly we found Foothill and it's just been so good that this is, this is home for us and our community and so we're so grateful to be here and I'm so grateful I get to share and open up the word um, of God with you today. So I'm a, I'm a prof over at Azusa Pacific University and I love college students. I love hanging with them. Um, I love the things that they teach me. I love that they sort of kind of at least a little bit keep me somewhat young, even though the, the gray hairs are starting to come and the bald spot is like fully formed. Um, I, I love it. Um, and one of the things that I appreciate about them is that they're kind of on the cutting edge of what's going on in society. And so one of these things that I've appreciated lately learning from them is about all sorts of social technologies. Like, like, like one of them I just learned about is Yik Yak. You know, you know what Yik Yak is? Yik Yak is this app that somehow you can, uh, you, you can tweet anonymously and anyone who's in a radius around you will get your tweets. But of course, no one knows that it's your tweet. And if you want to look at other people's tweets, you can without knowing whose it is. And somehow that's kind of this crazy thing, right? So we have this different technology out there. But what's been interesting to me is how all of these different social technologies um, have offered on the internet, have offered this anonymity to people. And, and I'm interested in how this anonymity or this perceived anonymity that we have tends to um, shape the way that we interact in, in, with other people and in community and, and, and quite frankly, even with God. Um, uh, I'm, 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 students have lots of different ways to kind of do things anonymously. Like one of them is ratemyprofessor.com. My colleagues and I love this one. Okay, so, so students can go online and they can say whatever they want to say about a prof and then just leave it there. I, and I, I thought this was kind of interesting. Like, I looked the other day at mine. I don't know why I do this, but I did. And there was, there was, a, there was a favorable comment on mine. And I'm like, why, why wouldn't you want someone to know that? Like, why wouldn't you put your name there? And I think it's kind of like, well, if I admit that we think you're like a halfway decent teacher, all of my friends are going to look down upon me. So we, of course, can't let them know that. So like everything has to be anonymous. And, and, and probably the most interesting thing to me, though, that, that, that we can do on the internet anonymously is we can make confessions. I think it's interesting, there's all these, like several years ago, all these online confession boards started, started to pop up. And so people started to go online and say this thing and say whatever they want to say to the whole world and confess their stuff all over. Of course, APU students, the good students that they are, thought they'd get in on the trick. And so they, they created this Facebook page called APU Confessions, where students could send in their confession somehow, and then somebody would post it on the site to all of the community without being able to trace it back to them. So I was reviewing it the other day, as I do every once in a while, just for, for pure entertainment, and I thought I would share with you a couple of uh, the recent confessions that have been made on this page, and don't worry, none of them are raunchy. Uh, the first one, I ride a bike across campus, and sometimes I have to squeeze through rows of cars. Let's just say I've taken out a couple of side mirrors. I feel bad, but I never said anything about it. Or, or I watch way too much Netflix and my grades aren't as good as they probably should be, but some, for some reason, I'm okay with that. Or I, I act like I'm taking selfies for Snapchat, but in real life, I'm taking stalker photos of my crush and of my friend's crush. Sometimes they're more serious, like this student who is an alpha leader. And alpha leaders are these upper-class students who work with a group of alphies, freshman students, helping them transition to the university. This student said this, I'm sorry I was not the best alpha leader I could have been. I confess I could have spent more time with you, given you more attention, and created more unity among us. I'm sorry I was so busy that we rarely met. I'm sorry I never planned outside events. and I'm sorry we never had anything to talk about. 
I wish I had the chance to do it all over again. And then, of course, my favorite one, the <laughs> student says this, my, my roommate thinks he has an STD, a hernia, and kidney stones. Because I'm a nursing major, he'll believe anything I have to say. <laughs> so, 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 so why do these students do this? Like, why do they go online? Why do they confess these things? Is it because there's nothing to do at APU? Is it because, is it because that, 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 they, that there's nothing better? Is it because they just are trying to be funny? Like, hey, I think this will be funny. I'm going to post this. Probably not. I think they do it because there's a nagging sense of I'm guilty and I got to do something about it. What about for you? Now, my hunch is you're probably not going on online confession boards and you're probably not using Yik Yak and you're probably not doing these other things, but there's something you do to try to cure or to try to absolve this, this, this guilty conscience in your heart, in your life. See, see maybe you go to an accountability group or maybe you go to a friend or maybe you go to a priest to confess your stuff. Or maybe you do all sorts of crazy things, good deeds, acts of penance, whatever, to try to appease your guilt. My question for you this morning is, how's that going for you? How's it going? How's your conscience? You see, today's passage, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 14, is a passage all about our guilt, our inability really to do anything about it, and Jesus' ability to cure our guilt. And that's what we're going to get into today. But before we do, let me pray as we, as we open up the word together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your word this morning. God, we thank you, God, just for giving us the gift of your word that shows us um, who you are and, and, and how you desire to relate to us. God, I pray that as we open it, Lord, I pray that, that, that your people who are, who are congregated here, Lord, would hear the things that you want to say to them through your word. God, I pray that I would not get in the way at all of what you want to say to this folks. Lord, I pray that I would be just a clean pipe through which your word flows. And Lord, you, you do whatever it is you want to do, God. So we welcome you, we welcome your spirit, we welcome you, God, to, to, to challenge us, God, to speak to us in the way that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, to give you a little bit of a roadmap, okay, I, I've learned over the years that, that I tend to speak in parentheses, which is really hard for my students to, like, track with where we're going. And so I've learned i got to kind of give a roadmap. So here's what we're going to do, okay? So first of all, I'm going to situate us in the book of Hebrews and in this overall passage. We're going to look at the passage overall and say, what's the argument that this passage is making? And then after we do that, I want to try to make three observations. We want to hone in on verse 14. And I'm going to make three observations that we see there. And then I want to try to draw a few applications for each of those observations. And then finally, we'll kind of pull it back, pull it back all together and try to give you a, a place to start. What do I do with that right now? Okay, so first of all, situating ourselves. See, we're in a, we're, we're, if you've been here for a while, you realize that we're in a, in a, a series on the book of Hebrews. I think this is week number 20, uh, and we've still got a ways to go. So we like to get after it and really dig into, dig into a book. And overall... Hebrews is shouting, Jesus is the greatest. Jesus is the greatest. He's greater than, 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 than any other priest that has gone before. And the covenant that Jesus enters in is better than the old covenant before. He's better than any angel. He's better than anything. Jesus is the greatest. You see, see and then in, this, in, this last, in this last few weeks, we've been looking at how Jesus is different than the priests. So the old Mosaic system of the priesthood, we've been looking about how Jesus, the great high priest, is different than all of the priests 
that have come before. Let me just name a couple of ways by way of review. First of all, priests had to offer many sacrifices over and over and over again at prescribed kinds of intervals, do certain kinds of things. No, Jesus offers one sacrifice once and for all. Of course, the priests were human, so the priests would die, but not Jesus. Jesus never, never dies. Jesus lives forever. The priests, of course, were beset by weakness themselves. They were human themselves, so of course they sinned, but not Jesus. Jesus, of course, never sinned. Priests, priests sacrificed something else for sin. They would, go take the, they would go take the goats or the calves, and they would cut them, and they would take, use that blood, and that blood was the sacrifice for the sin of the people. They sacrificed something outside of themselves, for sin, but not Jesus. Jesus' blood is the sacrifice for sin. Jesus himself is the sacrifice. And priests were a go-between between the people and God, but not Jesus. Jesus offers us direct access to God. So for all of these ways, we see how Jesus, the great high priest, is far better than any other priest. And in this passage, the writer of Hebrews goes further and says, hey, let me tell you one more way that Jesus is better. And so if, if you have your Bibles, open up to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. And I'm not, I'm not going to read verses 1 through 8, because let me, let me say what's going on there. Basically, the author here is kind of explaining this old covenant. He's explaining the way that, 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 that these things had to go. He's explaining the law. He's explaining the, 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 the tabernacle, the holy place, the way that the priests related in that place and so on, okay? So he's, he's kind of get, getting, getting us some detail there, much of what, you, of what we've talked about the last few days. But then in chapter 9, I mean in verse 9, he really starts to move forward. He says, so according to this arrangement, again, the old covenant, the law, the priestly sacrifices for sin, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Okay, so what he's saying here is that the old sacrificial system could take care of the outer issues. It could cleanse, so, so like, like the law, of course, has requirements about clean and unclean foods. It has requirements about ceremonial washings. It has these different requirements that, 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 that worshipers had to adhere to. And so he's saying, okay, when the, when the priests offer these sacrifices of, this, of these animals, it kind of can remove the guilt around those issues. But there's a major problem there, right? You see the first part of that verse. Those sacrifices cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Let me give you an example of this to try to help us think about this, okay? So one of my greatest fears in life is that at some point I would be um, being responsible and doing what I should be doing but somehow I'd be driving down the street and some kid would run out from the side and I would hit that kid and that kid, that kid would die. I mean, I, I literally like think about that. Like, oh, that would just be horrible. Obviously, it would be incredibly horrible. Now, now let, let's suppose that that could happen, okay? I, of course, would be arrested and I would be prosecuted, wouldn't I? I would have to go to the courts and they would, and they would, they would, they would line me up and they'd bring the case against me. Now, the judge, or the jury, I guess, in this case, the jury could look at that and could say, hey, we look at what you were doing, Ryan. You were being responsible. You're not at fault. We declare you not guilty. You don't have to go to prison. However, that's not going to absolve my guilty conscience. I'm going to think about this probably every day for the rest of my life. What could I have done? How did I not see him? What if I would have just been paying better attention? What if, what if, what if? And that's the guilty conscience, right? 
So, so, what the, so this old system could take care of the, well, you're not guilty, you're not going to prison, but couldn't do anything about the inner guilty conscience that we feel. But we're not done yet, okay? So let me get to verse 11. And I love the but statement here. Chris talked about this last week when we wanted to preach like the big buts of the Bible. And we, this is a big but. This is such an important but. And here's what it says. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an, an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see this? So when Christ appears, he can purify our conscience, right? And this makes him the far better priest than any of the other priests that came before, right? Like, this, is, this, is, this is what we so desperately need, isn't it? Like, like, so yes, maybe we, we feel like, okay, yeah, I'm forgiven. I know in the law, in the, overall, like when I die, I'm gonna be okay. But do any of us just wanna like live underneath this guilty conscience for the rest of our lives here on earth? Do we wanna live underneath that? Or do we want peace in our souls? Do we want the freedom that Jesus offers in our conscience? I think all of us certainly do want that peace, certainly do want that freedom from the guilty conscience that our, sin, that, our sin, that our sin brings us to. And so that's what we want to talk about here, right? We want to talk about how Jesus' sacrifice, how Jesus gives us, how he, how he clarifies our conscience, how he purifies our conscience, how he sanctifies our soul, how he gives us a fullness of peace, and how that enables us to serve the living God. See, in our example, what Jesus does, this is crazy to think, but somehow what Jesus does, he's able to purify my conscience, even if that horrible thing were to happen. That's amazing. That's what this passage is saying, that he can purify our conscience, not just declare us not guilty, but also purify who we are. So now I want to dig in. That's, that's the first part, okay? So part one, done. Now we're going to go to part two. Now I want to talk about three observations as we dig into chapter four, uh, to verse 14. The first one is this. You're guilty and you know it. Sorry if that's blunt, but it's true. Okay? You're guilty and you know it. Like, there wouldn't be a need for us to have our conscience purified if we weren't guilty. I mean, obviously, if, if, if we need a priest to purify our conscience, there must be some guilt. Well, we're guilty. So what do psychologists say about guilt? So they, they define guilt this way. It's up on the board behind me. Guilt is both a cognitive and emotional experience that occurs when a person believes that he or she has violated a moral standard and is responsible for that violation. People can feel guilty about something they actually did or didn't do. So I want to look at three parts of this definition, okay? The first part is this, that it's both a cognitive and emotional experience, okay? So when we're guilty, it's not that we just know it up here. We do know we're guilty, but we also feel it down here, and oftentimes we even feel it down here, right? So like our, our heart hurts. Perhaps we weep. And perhaps our stomach is a nut. This is why author Irma Bombeck quipped this, that guilt is the, is the gift that keeps on giving. Isn't it? Right, when you're guilty, I mean, that guilt just affects every part of your life. Your mind, your heart, your body, all of you. 
all of you. The second thing I want you to see here, if we put that definition back up, is that guilt, you only feel guilty in relation to some sort of a moral standard, okay? No moral standard, no guilt. And I think this is kind of interesting because I think a lot of the people who go online and post all these crazy things on online confession boards, like if you asked them, if you kind of pushed on them and you said, hey, do you really believe that there's some sort of moral standard that you have to live to? They'd be like, no, I don't think there is at all then why are you posting this stuff? Why are you doing this? You're doing it because you know that there is a moral standard. Tim Keller says this, a pastor in New York City, he says this. He says, we live in a world now where we don't want to believe in judgment. We don't believe in sin. And yet we still feel that there's something wrong with us. You see, see God has, a, has, has wired the world to work a certain way. He's required us to live in a particular way in accordance with the way that he set things up. And so when we act outside of that, something goes off on us that says, oh, I'm missing, I'm missing it here. And then the last thing I want you to see here with this definition is that, is that guilt is about what you do or what you don't do. Right, so you, maybe you feel guilt for something you did. You knew it was wrong to do, but you did it anyway. I think about this with Jill. Sometimes I want to be the, I want to have the last word in our discussion, let's just say. And I know I should shut my mouth and just let it go, but I'm like, no, I got I to gotta get this last zinger, and boom. And I do it, and I'm like, why did I do that? That was the dumbest thing ever. It didn't do any good. I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyway. Or maybe you feel guilty for something you should have or wanted to do but you didn't do. This happened for me about a year ago. I had a colleague who's going through a lot of um, personal family challenges. And, and I knew I needed to stop by and just see how she was doing, but I was a little bit too busy to do that. After a few days of that, boy, the guilt. So somebody like, what's your problem, Ryan? Like, really, you can't take five minutes to go ask how someone is doing and be there? Or maybe you feel guilty because you caused hurt or harm or injury to someone. Actually, my worst day ever in a classroom happened a couple of years ago here at APU. Let me tell you about it. So I, I had taken over this, this class for um, another colleague who had some health problems. So he went out and I came into this class. And that already made for a really challenging situation. But I assigned these students a group project. When I do group projects, I give students a group project grading form. So, so at the end of the project, right, they basically kind of rate their team members, their group members, about how well they did and so on. And they turn that into me. I look at it and I use that to assign uh, appropriate grades to the different members of the group. And I, of course, I tell them, hey, what you write down in this form will only be seen by my eyes. You see where this is going, right? So, so somehow things are busy, and so I go to class, and I grade, and I, I take my evaluation form, and I paper clip it to their evaluation forms, and I hand them out. And for a couple minutes, I thought everything was just normal. I mean, they were kind of ticked off with their grades. And I don't tend to, students don't tend to cheer for me because I give the, the best grades ever. Um, but but so, so I'm like, oh, whatever. You're kind of frustrated because I didn't give you all A's, whatever. Then I realized something was different this time. They were looking at what their peers had said about their performance. And their faces were dropping. And all of a sudden, I was like, did I just hand out the group forms? And you're like, Yeah. And then there's this young man in the front row, and he has some special needs. And I looked at him, and tears started to come down his cheeks because he had seen what some folks had written about him. And there I am. What do you do? All I know is I felt so guilty. I had caused super 
harm and super hurt to many of these students in my classroom. Or maybe you feel guilty for something you think you did. Maybe you thought it'd be really fun if you kind of sent out this email. You thought it was gonna be really fun and funny, but as soon as you hit send, you're like, ah, not sure that was the best choice. Not sure they're gonna take it the way that I intended it. Or maybe you feel guilty because you didn't do enough to help somebody and you disappointed them. You see, guilt is a part of our lives. I mean, no matter how you slice it, like, we are all guilty. We're all guilty. We can't get rid of that. And this is the guilt that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. He's saying these sacrifices cannot perfect the consciences of the worshiper. Our guilt before God, this unclear conscience, of course, is due to our sin. It's due to our, our inability to act in line with God's lordship of the universe. Now, if you're like me, though, you like kind of get that. You're like, yeah, I know I'm guilty. Yeah, I know I'm a sinner, but I kind of want to push it down. And I've done that for many years. Several years ago, the Lord was like, enough of that. So I was in church one morning, and we were, worship, we, were, we, were, we, were, we were in praise and worship time. We're singing, and I'm in the back. And I felt like the Lord said, get on your knees. Now, this is not like really common for me, okay? But this happens. So I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So I get on my knees. And I, we're singing and so on. And all of a sudden... The Lord like showed this movie of my sin. <laughs> it was like, I was like watching in living color all of my sin for all of my life. There it went. And I think for a while before that, I was like, you know, I'm a pretty good guy with a couple of sin issues. <coughs> and after that, remember that day, I just wept. I'm like, this is me. This is ugly. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a pretty good guy with some sin issues. I, I, I am a wretched, ugly, selfish human being who has a really wonderful Savior. I had to deal with my guilt. I had to deal with my sin. What about you? What about you? Do you own your sinfulness? See, whether you want to admit it or not, you're like me. You're guilty, and you know it. And so if that's true, how would we apply that? I want to give you three quick applications. The first one is this. I encourage you to quit pretending that God's standards don't apply to you. See, I think we love to rationalize away what God has to say. It's like, oh, you know, I really got to get a good test in this, a good, a good grade in this test so I can go to med school. So it's okay if I look at my neighbor's exams. Or I didn't let my eyes wander for that long and my mind didn't wander too far. You know, it, you know God really doesn't mean what he says about money and about tithing in particular situations like when I'm a student or when life is hard or when I'm employed. I'm sure he doesn't mean that. So I don't know what it is for you, but I know what it is for me. I'm guilty and my conscience tells me that. And I'm going to stop rationalizing God's standards away. I hope that you will too. Secondly, I want to encourage you to recognize your troubled conscience as a gift from God. See, the Bible says that one day you're going to face judgment. And your troubled conscience is a gift to help, you, to help you see your need for him. Somebody has said that guilt is to the spirit as pain is to the body. It's a warning system that something is wrong. I want to encourage you to thank God for revealing your sin to you and showing you what is wrong. And then thirdly, I just want to encourage you, don't ignore your sin. Don't try to bury your sin. Face your sin. See, the Christian life, by definition, is not about you living your super strong life. The Christian life, by definition, is acknowledging your weakness and running to somebody else who's really strong. And that someone that you run to is Jesus. Let your sin propel you towards a, towards a loving and a powerful God. Now, as you face this guilt, as you realize, yep, I'm guilty and I know it, 
I want to encourage you to be careful with how you deal with it. So the second observation I want to make here in this, in, this, in this path is that you can't do anything to cleanse your guilt even though you try. You can't do anything, anything, anything to cleanse your guilt even though you try. See, I don't like to feel guilty and my hunch is you don't like to either. So you'll do all sorts of things to try to appease this, 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 this feeling of guilt, right? That's like the classic foxhole prayer, right? God, if you'll just get me out of this situation, I'll live my whole life for you. Or it's me bringing my wife flowers after I've just totally ripped her in a conversation. Or it's trying to make amends with my coworkers. Or it's bringing a coffee to my colleague because I really was inappropriate the way that I talked to her the last time. Or maybe it's telling somebody something that's like this deep, dark secret just so I can get it off my chest and somehow feel better. Or maybe you do something extreme like this kid in Ohio that I read about. Apparently he threw a really wild party while his parents were away and he realized that after the party was over that he really couldn't like get rid of all the evidence so he just burned the house down. That was his way he was just going to deal with that. Now, now, now you're probably not going to burn the house down, okay? But you're probably trying to do something, something to absolve this guilt. While flowers might work for your spouse or bring in a colleague's favorite coffee drink might alleviate the guilt you're feeling with him or her. You can't do anything to make it up for God when you sin against the standards. You can't get rid of your guilt. And this is what the, this is what the Old Testament just shows us all the way through. It's like the Old Testament is all about these people trying to say, hey, God, we can get our act together. And every time, like, nope. We're gonna try again, nope. We're gonna try again, nope. We can't get our act together. We can't. You can't either. You can't do enough to earn your way back to God. You just simply can't. So how do we apply this? First of all, I want to encourage you to stop trying to do something to clear your conscience. Stop trying to pay or work your way back to God. You can't do it. There's never enough flowers. There's never enough time left to kind of make your foxhole prayer good. Stop trying to earn your salvation because you can't. You simply cannot. And secondly, I want to encourage you to abandon, getting, abandon this, this idea of getting stuff off your chest as a strategy to deal with guilt. See, if, when you get things off your chest, the relief you feel is certainly a false relief. It's going to come back pretty quickly because whoever you share that with doesn't have the, doesn't have the, the stuff you need to really take that stuff away. Maybe they can help you like walk with it or be like, come on, pal, you'll be okay, something like that. But they really can't help you get rid of it. Instead, you need to take your stuff to Jesus. Now, right now, you might be like, wow, Ryan, okay, I'm glad I showed up this morning. That is a pretty distressing message, okay? I'm guilty, and there's nothing I can do about it. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I'm really, I'm really thankful for this positive, encouraging message. But see, here's the thing. That's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. Here's the good news. You can't, but Jesus can. You can't, but Jesus can. And see, here's the thing. Here's the, here's the third thing I want you to see in this passage, is that Jesus' forgiveness is the only cure for your guilty conscience. Jesus' forgiveness is the only cure for your guilty conscience. By Jesus' sacrifice, he declares you not guilty. He purifies your conscience, and he enables you to be able to serve the living God. See, what the writer is saying here is that through his blood, Jesus cleans your conscience and invites you into relationship with him. And I want us to look at 1 John to see how Jesus does this. There's a very interesting way, I think, or profound way, at least to me, the way that Jesus does this. So, so look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. It says this, 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, though, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, what Jesus does is he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, including our consciousness, consciences, through forgiveness. See, the cure for a guilty conscience is forgiveness. Even like horizontally between us, if I have a guilty conscience over something I've done for you, when you forgive me, I can have freedom from that. But on the grand scheme for us vertically with God, when Jesus forgives us, he cleanses our conscience. You see, when you think about forgiveness, like this is such a powerful concept because forgiveness is the sole responsibility of the person offering the forgiveness. Let this sink in. Like your acts of penance, your trying to make amends, your self-denial, whatever you do, none of that gets God to forgive you. Instead, forgiveness is solely 100% up to the forgiver. The other thing I want you to see about forgiveness is that forgiveness is not, doesn't happen because someone deserves to be forgiven. This is, this is why you don't have to wait for someone to ask for forgiveness to forgive them. You don't have to wait, you, you don't have to, you don't have to wait for someone to come groveling to you and recognizing all the things they've done before you forgive them. No, because you've been forgiven you can forgive them without them even coming to you and asking for it. See, forgiveness is a gift to another person who doesn't deserve the gift. Forgiveness is a gift to another person who doesn't deserve the gift. I hope that you just let this sink in. God forgives you. He gives you the gift of life, not by simply wiping your sin slate clean, but by Jesus paying the price for your sins on the cross. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. You see, you see, on the cross, Jesus became our substitute. He atoned for our sin. It is the greatest act of love, mercy, and grace that has ever, ever, ever happened. It's a gift. And, and I want you to really hear that, this. Because of that, you are free from guilt. If you've confessed your sins... You're forgiven. You are free from guilt. Romans 8, 1 says this. There is, now, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? No condemnation. No guilt. What a gift. See, the bad news is that you're guilty. The bad news is that you can't do anything about it. But the good news, the good news is that Jesus can. And he does. And that's what he's in the business of doing. See, Jesus' forgiveness is the only cure for a troubled conscience. How do we apply this? First of all, I want to encourage you, let your conscience propel you into Jesus' arms. As First John exhorts us, confess your sins. When you do, he is faithful and just to forgive you. How many of you desperately want true forgiveness? How many of you really want a clear conscience? I think all of us do. I hope you realize that Jesus died a horrible death on a cross to give you the gift of being forgiven, of taking your guilt away, of giving you a clear conscience. The second thing I want to encourage you here, way to apply this, I want to encourage you to accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers you. See, some of us, like, like we've blown it, we've all blown it, but some of us, we just want to kind of carry around this guilty thing with us our entire lives. It's like, you just have to like stay with me. Right? I'm going I'm I'm to put this backpack on of my guilt and I'm not going to let this thing go. I blew it once and so I'm going to walk through my entire life carrying this thing around. It's my way to kind of show that, man, I'm sorry for this. Jesus forgives you. 
He forgives you. You're free from that. You're free from that. One of my pastor friends tells his friends this, and he started doing this with his kids as well. I love it. When people confess before God, he goes to them and he says this. By the authority of the word of God and because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, Jesus' death on the cross, you are forgiven. I think that probably in a room this size, some of you need to hear this. If you've confessed your sins before God, by the authority of the word of God and because of Jesus' death on the cross, you are forgiven. Do you hear that? Like, let that just like sink in. Let that wash over you. That is truth. You are forgiven. You don't have to walk around with this, con- this, all this guilt all the time. You don't have to. Jesus paid the price for your freedom. He paid the price for your victory. Let him, let, let, let him have it. And the third way I want to encourage you to apply this is that be a person who forgives other people. You see, when you realize that you're forgiven, you can't help but forgive somebody else. You can't help it. In Jesus, we have the amazing model for how we deal with hurt and offense. So I encourage you, stop demanding penance. Stop making people come and grovel at your feet, asking for forgiveness. And then, if you do just enough, fine, I'll forgive you. No, be generous. Give others the gift of forgiveness. And when you do that, I gotta tell you, not only are you giving them a gift, but you're giving yourself a gift because now you don't have to harbor that anger and that resentment and carry that around. You don't have to do it. Oftentimes, like a, an unwillingness to forgive someone hurts the person who's unwilling to forgive far more than it hurts the person who failed to ask for forgiveness. Be a person who forgives. So that's part two, right? Part one, part two, part three. And that's how we're gonna wrap it up. Where do we start? So if we are guilty and we know it, if we can't do anything about it, but Jesus can, what do we do? I want to say this. I just want to, I just want to encourage you. There's only one place to turn if you want a clear conscience, and that is to Jesus. I want to encourage you to run to Jesus. Quit trying to do it on your own. Quit trying to absolve your conscience. Quit trying to pay penance. Quit trying to go someplace where you can get things off your chest. Instead, run to Jesus. And I think we can apply this in two different ways. One is vertically and the other is horizontally. First of all, vertically. What does this mean? What does it mean to run to Jesus? Pastor Chris has talked about this before. But it's like, I'm going in this direction and all of a sudden I'm like, that's not a very good direction to go anymore. Okay, what do I do? I turn. I say, where's, where's God? God's here. And I turn. Right there. Here's God. I turn. Boom, there he is. It's like right here. We just, we just turn to Jesus. We say, I'm tired of doing it my own way. My way's not working. I'm carrying around this huge old backpack of guilt. It sucks. I don't like this. I don't want this anymore. God, where are you? I turn to you. See, when you confess your sins, when you turn to him, when you, when, you, when, you, when you say, hey, I'm weak and you're strong, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse our consciences. And then secondly, I think this means something very important for us horizontally. I want to encourage you to situate yourself in a community that will take you to Jesus. See, I, I think sometimes that, that when it comes to guilt, we try to do accountability horizontally and we get it quite wrong a lot of the time. And one of my favorite stories in the scriptures is in Luke chapter 5, where Jesus heals the paralyzed man. And, and let me just set up the story for you, because it's an amazing story of, of, of what our community is to do with us, and what we are to do in community for other people. So here's the story. There's all these, so Jesus is in town, okay, and he's healing all these people, and he's teaching, and so on. And these guys are like, hey, we got, we got, a, we got a, one of our pals, can't walk, he's paralyzed. He's really sick. But we hear that there's this guy in town who can heal him. 
And so they try to take him there, okay? But there's all sorts of people there. So I want to pick up reading the story in verse 18 of Luke chapter 5. It'll be on the screen here. And so here's what, here's what happens. So some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. I want you to get the picture of this, okay? These guys are like, okay, our bro's sick. We got to get him to Jesus. We kind of tried, tried, tried to come in the front door. It's not working so good, but we got to get him there. And so what they do is they're like, we're going we're gonna to go up on the roof. I mean, imagine this. You got a guy who's laying on a bed who can't move, who has to somehow get up on a roof. And these guys go up there, they start pulling off these tiles. I mean, can you imagine like the mud and the rocks are falling in? I mean, imagine being inside the room. You're like, what are you guys doing? Knock it off. Why are you guys here? Someone calls security, get them out of here. They're like, no, we are getting our friend to Jesus. We're doing it. And so they, they open up the hole and they drop him down. And I want you to see the next line. I love this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. <laughs> There's so much there. First thing I want you to see is that word there. When he saw their faith, whose faith? Not the guy's faith, not the guy in the bed's faith. He said their faith. When he saw the friend's faith, you are forgiven. See, what your friends need, y'all, is not you to help carry the load of their sin and of their guilt. What your friends need is you to take them to Jesus. That's what a godly community does. That's what a growth group does. That's what a home group does. They take people to Jesus. And the second thing I want you to see there is you realize the first thing that Jesus says? He doesn't say, he doesn't say, hey, dude, you're paralyzed, you can walk. He says, man, your sins are forgiven you. You see what Jesus deals with first? The inside, not the outside. Yeah, this guy was sick. Yeah, this guy had some issues. But Jesus said what's far more important is what's on the inside. What's far more important is the conscience. What's far more important is the heart. And I have come to heal the heart. Later, Jesus does heal him and tells him to get up and go and go walk out. I love that story. I love that story. You're in community, my friends. I just want to encourage you. Just don't try to be someone's savior. Instead, take people to Jesus. That's your job. Your job is to say, I'm going to get you to Jesus no matter what it takes. So where are you this, where are you this morning? Some of you are drowning in guilt. You know you've blown it. And let's be honest, you probably have. <laughs> Jesus wants to clear your conscience when you let him. Some of you maybe are trying to work off your guilt. You're trying to wash yourselves up, get yourselves all clean. Trying to work out a deal before God. Trying to pay penance, trying to make amends. So on the cross, Jesus worked your guilt off. He took it on himself on the cross. Do you accept him? Jesus begs you, believe in me and you will be saved. Some of you are running somewhere other than Jesus to get freedom from your guilt. You're trying to get something off your chest. Maybe you're running to accountability partners, but you're certainly not running to Jesus. Maybe you're going to some sort of anonymous, theory. I don't know what you're doing, but you're not going to Jesus. Will you instead go to Jesus, the only cure for your conscience? And finally, I think it's probably fair to say that some of us are trying to be like Jesus. You're trying to be another person's savior. This is accountability gone awry. You're trying to be the person. If you just come to me, I can help you get all cleaned up. No, you can't. No, you can't. Your job in community is to fight through the crowds, is to claw through the roof, is to try to get through the distractions and get your pal to Jesus because Jesus is the only one that can heal. See, I don't know how the Spirit is convicting you right now, but you do. You do. See, this is God's gentle gift of a conscience, a warning sign to you that things aren't right. I know mine's going off. But I want you to hear in the midst of like, wow, that's kind of tough. In the midst of that, no matter what you struggle with, you have a great hope. 
You see, yes, you're guilty, and so am I. Yes, there's nothing you can do to work it off. True. But as you trust Jesus, he declares you not guilty, he cleanses your conscience, and he releases you in service to him. Let's pray.